1: This episode contains stories that include racism and homophobia. This is Queer Roots and Roots.
2: Stories of where we come from and how we move in the world today.
3: We are a group of people living in London. We're gay or queer and we're mostly men.
2: And some non-binary people who were raised as men. We're all either migrants to the UK and are racialized as being from an ethnic minority. Ill, that's just a crappier
1: way of saying global majority.
3: We all have different experiences and perspectives on the world.
1: Some of us are racialized as black or brown. Some as white.
3: Many of us have experienced racism and xenophobia. Some, some of us, us are, are gay, gay and, and some, some queer.
2: queer. Some of us move to the UK by ourselves. And some are from an ancestral line that includes migrants. We We all, all, every single one of us, knows what it's like to be seen as other. That is what brings us together. We're part of a community project run by the Love Tank.
1: A not-for-profit community interest company that promotes health and well-being of underserved communities through education, capacity building and research.
3: We wanted to make this podcast to tell our stories of crossing borders. Borders of nation-states, of gender and sexuality.
2: As a collective. We don't have a boss or a Beyonce, so every episode of Queer Roots and Roots has a different host and a different set of voices from our group. Our promise to you is that our podcast is gorgeous, fierce, super gay
3: and revolutionary.
1: Yo, my name is Chase. I'm a 28-year-old black gay brother from London. My pronouns are he, him, king. And for my episode of Queer Roots and Roots, I've chosen to focus on one of my favourite things, love. In this episode, we have stories about the love of queer icons, the love of drag and how it can create community, and navigate in love in London. I hope you get something from it. So, a bit about me. I'm a North London boy. I'm a Pisces with a romantic fish of the Zodiac. And I'm currently single. I'm not on social media, but you can drop an email if you'd like to make an application. (laughs) I grew up in London with my mum and my brother. When I reflect on it, my mum was definitely the first source of love in my life. She was and still is very affectionate. Both verbally and physically. Always hyping us up. Always telling us we could. I definitely went through the teenage phase and found the affection jarring, but ultimately I'm grateful. It's definitely informed how I show love, so a big up to my mum. My mum didn't always get it right though. When I was 10, my mum decided to move us to Grenada. It's our heritage and where our grandparents are from, and we had been out there most summers. But going on holiday and living are so different i guess her thinking was that she thought it would be a good growth experience for us but i disagreed i think we're encouraged to love where we come from but truthfully i hated living in grenada for me london was home i missed my cousins i missed my friends i felt like i was lacking in the love that raised me i went to an all boys catholic secondary school in grenada on paper Being a gay black boy, surrounded by other black boys, in the sun, all of us being sweaty, sounds like a dream, right? Nah, far from. I feel like I was made to feel different because I was an English boy. And I think because I didn't want to be in Grenada, I didn't allow myself to fully immerse in the experience. It didn't help that some of my teachers were openly homophobic, just at the time when I was realising that I was gay. I knew that if I was back home in London, there'd be a certain level of protection that I didn't have in Grenada. But I did it. For seven years. Big up to me. The older I get, I try to take something of value from most experiences. That's how we grow, right? I feel like my biggest lesson from Grenada was that I should try hard to find something to love about the present. I spent so much time longing to come home, I didn't allow myself to enjoy even the minor aspects of growing up in the Caribbean. Like, my regular escape while I was out there was one of the most beautiful beaches in the world. That's a blessing. That's love. I'm really lucky to have had that. Coming back to London by myself at 17 was hard. I even had to borrow the money for my flight, but I was so determined. I feel like I could defo write the guidebook, how to navigate London as a 17-year-old black gay boy on his own. The first chapter would defo just be about sex. Reflecting on growing up queer, I've chosen a story from Roberto. You might have heard him hosting a previous episode of Queer Roots and Roots.
0: My name is Roberto Tobar, my pronouns are he, him, I'm 36, and I am a fabulous flamboyant faggot.
1: Roberto is about to take us to his childhood, and how looking up at a man who shows you a way to be himself is empowering.
0: Growing up in Mexico City, well, you have to uh, have in mind that uh, Mexico City is a very Catholic and quite a macho society, even though there is a lot of influence of queer people and there is sometimes something celebratory about that, still very influenced by the church. But there was one character that challenged all of that and this... Singer-songwriter and genius called Juan Gabriel. Uh, I am an '80s gay. Uh, I was born in 1986, so yeah. I think my first musical references are like late '80s, early '90s. Um, yeah, so Juan Ga in those years were like was at like the uh, peak of of his career. Every summer, we, my brother, my sister, and I will go to my aunt, Chata, and her partner, Rosita. Sorry. Sorry. Just like, I did, I never mentioned my tia before. So that was like, uh, so yeah, every summer, my tia, Chata, will take us to uh, her summer house with Rosita, her partner. Yeah, it, it's in Cuautla, in Morelos, uh, which is like two hour drive from Mexico City. And we will just like hang out there, like sing songs, eat really nice food. We will have freshly squeezed oranges that uh, actually the oranges were from the, the tree at the house. So that was really nice, really fresh. Um, we will have like, uh, I don't know, like picaditas, this like tortilla with cheese and salsa. And um, we will go swimming And during the night, like, um, actually, uh, when the sun starts coming down, like, my uh, aunt and her friends will get the tequila and, like, get a guitar and start singing all these characters. Actually, my aunt introduced a lot of musical characters, very important characters in my life, which is, like, including Juan Gabriel, Ana Gabriel, uh, Luis Miguel, and... Um, Vicente Fernandez, uh, the last two are straight and the first, the first two are, um, LGBT members. Uh, and, and, yeah, and just like, obviously the tequila made effect and they were like laughing, crying. And like, obviously I remember this as like, wow, there's some serious effect in these songs, you know, they were really feeling it. Um, so yeah, I think that like stayed in in, in my head that, that like those feelings and those emotions that they were uh, portraying in those songs. With the context of my lesbian aunt, this one makes a lot of sense because it's called Mujeres Divinas of Vicente Fernandez, which is Divine Women. Obviously in the beginning, like years, years, when I was a kid, I didn't understand like my aunt singing, <laughs> singing this song with like such passion. And also, um, "Yo no nací para Más, which is uh, "I wasn't born to love" of Juan Gabriel, which is a really tragic song and really dramatic and uh, over the top. You know, when people say like, "Oh, don't be so extra," well, Juan ga didn't didn't uh, rule by that. Like, he would wear like this super sparkly um, sequence jackets. Uh, Standing next to a group of mariachis, like super macho looking, but he was just, yeah, over the top, like moving like the shoulders and I don't know. Almost like a little bit of influence of Liza (laughs) Minnelli, you know, it's like, yeah, he was extra. That was his thing, like being extra with drama and with happiness. But um, yes, this song is about, um, I wasn't born to love um and i i guess that was another thing that unconsciously i related to you know like this feeling of and uh, not belonging or like unlovable because of i knew there was something different about me and also i knew there was something different about huanga and that i didn't really understand back then actually no tengo dinero is the song that Juan started his career with uh, in 1971, and it was No tengo dinero ni nada que dar, lo único que tengo es amor para dar, which is uh, I don't have any money. Um, the only thing I have is love to give, which is a really positive. And yeah, that song, like I remember, like thinking about uh, about it because it was like kind of like oh is, is he singing to is he one of us you know like working class people like i only have which is like kind of like romantic if you want to call it like that but yeah it's it's not th- talking about what you own but that you just have love to give you know cheesy but yeah relatable Oh my God. (laughs) If I look at my younger self back then, listening to those songs of Juanga, little Roberto looks uh, happy, (laughs) very cute. Yeah, I guess protected and comfortable because I was with my aunt. Juanga's career was doing really good, but in 1985, a former member of staff, published a book uh, called Juan Juan Gabriel y yo, which is Juan Gabriel and I, revealing intimate details of a relationship between the two of them, uh, which you would think that this will destroy a career. And also it was the 80s, uh, you know, like there was the AIDS epidemic and like uh, gay people were, uh, didn't have the best PR back then. So... um, Yes, you will think that his career was over, but actually, I think there was a lot to destroy. If you want to, like, he was like a big figure to destroy. So he stayed. In 2003, Juan Gabriel was confronted by a reporter and he asked if he was gay to what Juan Gabriel replied, it wasn't breaking news, really. Like everyone knew that Juan Ga was gay. Um, but even though after after that, you could go to like I don't know, like really Catholic or homophobic households, and Juan Gabriel was playing. And when Juanga sings, you shut up. So that's that's the rule in Mexico, you know. Even though if you're a homophobic granny. Juanga <laughs> has a lot of, um, moments like that interview where he managed uncomfortable questions like that. And I connect with Juanga because of that. I connect with Juanga because of his sense of humor, his ambition, and his resilience. I also respect the the way he handled this harassing about like his identity and his uh, sexuality also the way he challenged all this macho industry of rancheros ranchero songs you know like uh, the the genre in 2016 sadly huanga died i was very f- sad about it and also was very frustrated because i was in london and not in Mexico. So I couldn't join the other 500,000 people that gather outside Palacio de Bellas Artes in Mexico City for his funeral. But the only thing that I could do was to throw a tribute at the Queen Adelaide where I played Juanga's songs. Queen Adelaide is a gay bar in Hackney Road in East London. And that night was uh, a night where other Latin, Latin American people attended, uh, other queer Latin American attended. Yeah, I felt connected with my friends and my family in Mexico, but also with Mexico as a country, with my roots and with my queer roots. I felt connected with my country, united in grief. But also united in joy of having experienced the influence of this fabulous flamboyant faggot and 2014 I managed to see Juanga live and at the end of the concert there was a slide like kind of like powerpoint looking slide with a glitter rose uh, and you could see the phrase never be afraid of being yourself uh, which I think um, it was a perfect way of ending a Juan Gabriel song, a Juan Gabriel concert. Yeah, just to say thank you, Juan Gabriel, for for those emotional, over the top, dramatic, yet fabulous songs.
1: I feel very uncultured when I say this. I didn't actually know about Juan Gabriel before Roberto, but he's a proper queer icon. Prepping for this episode, I researched him to see how he felt about love. He once said, and I quote, I won't completely fall in love again, because it is so deceptive, it has left me a bad taste. I relate to that. I wish I could give him a hug. I think we've all been there. When I think about love in music, I think about Beyonce's album Lemonade. I think about cheating and or being cheated on. The heartbreak, the anger, sitting with that pain. I think about allowing yourself to get to a place of forgiveness. I think about the process of working it out and eventually getting back to a place of love. And then to make an album about it, turning lemons into lemonade. That's some powerful stuff. Some might call it authentic. Some might say it's marketing. Who knows? Anyway, from Queen B to an East London queen himself. This is drag performer Polkadot.
2: My name is Robert. My pronouns are he, him. My age is 32. And fun fact,
1: I'm a drag queen. Robert's done something pretty amazing with Polkadot and their drag collective. So I asked him to tell me the story.
2: So my drag name is Polkadot and she came to life probably around 2017. It all started in East London, where I live. I went for a drug show. It was called The Shea Shay Show. And what I loved about that show, it was that it was very community-based, very queer, unapologetically queer. And there, obviously, there were drag queens, which I was mesmerized by. I started to experiment. I started to buy heels, some jumpsuits, some wonky eyeshadow on my eyes. And In contrary to what I was expecting, in that space, people were appreciating and people were celebrating me. Each time, even though I was looking like crap, they were saying, like, you look amazing. And I know they were saying that not because I looked objectively nice. It was more to do with, like, we love the fact that you put the dress on and you're unapologetically yourself. So that's where I started to, you know, experiment with drag or like maybe gender expression, because I probably wouldn't call it drag on the very beginning, you know. And then fast forward to probably a year after I really wanted to perform. I was inspired on that show. And a close friend of my tin said, Robert, I see that you really want to do it. The best way, he's a singer-songwriter, is if you lock a date and then there's no turning away from that. So we locked a date at Royal Vauxhall Tavern uh, for an open mic. I've asked my friend to teach me how to do uh, makeup. I bought some weird stuff from (laughs) Primark. And I performed my first uh, mashup was obviously Britney Spears and Beyonce, Toxic and... Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I got standing ovation and I loved it. Um, I used to uh, perform in musical theater, so that was something that brought back memories. I guess it was back then, five years already, that I was living in the UK. I kind of forgotten about my creativity. So creating Polka brought that back. Polka not only was my way of expressing my uh, creativity and, um, you know, putting a drag show, but also Polka allowed me to discover more stuff about myself. I now, from a perspective of time, I love that Polka allowed Robert to be who he actually is. Because in drag, for example, I would never even fear to approach the handsomest guy in the club and, you know, ask him for his number. But as Robert, I would never, you know. But then at some point, those lines between Polka and Robert started to blur and I started to become more unapologetical uh, as Robert or I would be more uh, fierce and, you know, approach those guys that I like. And I realized that, you know what? Thank you, Polka. You know, you, you made me realize that I can be courageous even without drag because drag is within me anyway polka is me i'm polka you know so polka that was performing every now and then in london and then i created slav for you a drag polish collective we decided okay we're gonna put one off night at the glory just an easy one the capacity is 80 people if we sell 60 tickets it will be already a success Little did I know that we sold out completely. People were calling to The Glory, asking for more. And that was in 2019. And now we are in 2023. We've had around 10 editions already. Uh, We've performed at uh, The Glory, where we started, at Clapham Grant. Uh, BBC did a documentary about us. We went to Latitude Festival, River Stage, you name it. We've been all over the place. And we have got plans, obviously, to take over the world. You may ask, why did I even create Slav for you? Uh, Initially, it was just me uh, having an outlet to showcase Polish culture, uh, show that I am Polish and I'm proud of it. um, And I live in the UK. And there is a big Polish diaspora. But then with time I realized that it's not only about me, it's about the community, you know. Um, a profound moment in, in my time with slav for you was after one show a girl approached me. She grabbed my hands and she said, Polka, what you did on that stage was so profound and so amazing. That for the first time in my life I felt that I feel like I'm Poland but with the difference that here I can hold my girlfriend's hand and no one will punch me in the face, you know? So for those kind of moments, and I've got goosebumps each time that I talk about that, for those kind of moments, I create Slav for you. It's to show that you can be Polish, queer, and proud. And it's not only me being on stage, but it's us being a community, being a Polish diaspora in London, not forgetting where we are from and showing people, because not only Polish people come to the show, but also people that don't speak Polish. They are curious what those polls are about. You know, I want to know what my cleaner is listening to when she's folding my Egyptian cotton, you know, silk, whatever. I want to know what are they about? Are they only the cleaners and thieves? You know, no, we are not. We've got vibrant um, pop culture, Uh, which is unfortunately not celebrated from a queer perspective back in Poland, but this is the privilege I have here, that for the first time ever I can step on a stage in drag, sing the biggest ballads of Polish pop culture and be proud of it.
1: Massive big up to Robert for creating a community, a collective for drag and Polish culture. This is a massive act of love and I rate it a lot. Because I'm a bit of a nutter, my brain isn't always the kindest to myself, which is weird because I have so much understanding and love for others, but it's like when it comes to myself, my brain is like, uh, sorry for are All Out. One time I was really down and I can't remember who it was or what it was, but someone, or something was like, you need to define your purpose it will help you stay guided in life. I sat with it for a few minutes. I opened the notes app in my phone and I wrote down my purpose. My purpose in life is to love and spread love. It's weird as well because it came to me so quickly and clearly. When I feel like shit, I try to remember my purpose to love and spread love. I'm flawed, I get it wrong sometimes, but still, that's my purpose. And it helps, most of the time. I think this is also what Robert's done. He served the community, creating space for people to spend time together. That's love. Those spaces are vital for us.
0: Yes, <laughs> Naya.
1: One of my favourite queer spaces is UK Black Pride. UK Black Pride was hands down one of the best days I had in 2022. I was with my boys Tokyo and Kamel and it was beautiful. I did a bit of volunteering, handing out condoms and lube, mostly using this as a chat-up line. It was great. There's something so beautiful about being around so many queer people in one space. I'm really grateful for UK Black Pride, especially coming from Grenada where those spaces just don't exist i feel massively lucky and also just like so many sexy black brothers what a blessing you think you're sexy and then you get to black pride and it's like damn and big up to all my sexy black queer women too i feel like as queer people we also have to be intentional about love within our community we have to take care of each other seeing my exes and past situationships at black pride I felt like I had to be intentional about having good interactions. I got the same energy back and none of them moved mad. That's good taste or luck, I guess. Anyway, this brings us to Stanley and Jose. You heard Jose hosting episode one and Stanley reading his poem in episode 2 Um, Jose, I use he and him pronouns.
3: I'm 36 years old and a fact about me is that I was
4: kind of born old, like I'm an old soul. Hi, I'm Stanley, uh, he, him pronouns, 32, and a fact about me, I'm a poet and a writer.
1: Stanley and Jose both have deep things to say about the links between mental health and sexual well-being. So they got together to have a conversation about it.
4: Tell me, you said that you worked—you worked in sexual health and then you worked in mental health. I'm curious why the two, and if they're if you think there's kind of like a connection between two of those things. Yeah, I mean, I I
3: think the the fairest and the easiest answer it'll be, by chance, really by by kind of like accident it all happened like i ended up working in sexual health because of my own lived experience so i lived with hiv and that was kind of what i thought oh maybe i can work in this i was a student back then here in the uk needed like a working visa to be able to stay and like started applying to things and it was all random i yeah you've just studied you don't know what you want to do or so i was just applying to all these random things like Mm -hmm. environmental stuff and this and that and then all of a sudden on Grindr, I saw an opportunity to volunteer on a sexual health organization. And yeah, and I just contacted them and, and started volunteering. And that's how it started. And then I ended up like getting a paid job and working there for many years. And then that thing led me to working in sexual health and doing peer support in sexual health. Led me to working in mental health. Yeah, and I, de- and I definitely think that there, there is a connection. There might be many connections, different things, but but I think it's very it can be very personal you know so it's very hard to talk about because because it might be different for you than, than it is for me mm. but definitely i can say for me there is a, a lot
4: of things there to to unpack sounds like it definitely and i think it's interesting because you said like you know it's it's i think it's fantastic that you work in mental health and also you work sexual health, then mental health but you discuss actually um having hiv and and then finding the that kind of resource on Grindr how has it been navigating those spaces being diagnosed but then also understanding and realizing that you know you equals you and that there is a life outside of a diagnosis of that
3: now navigating those different spaces has has changed with time like that and, and I think partly sort of the outcome of of doing that or I mean it's hard to explain it it's just the more comfortable I've been on my skin, the easier those spaces have been to navigate. When when I was at, at, at the hardest times or in difficult places, mm-hmm. it was harder to navigate those spaces. Uh, I mean, there has been stigma and shame and like discrimination and, and a lot of things. And But I mean, these things always affect you, right? Like even if you think they don't, they somehow can affect you. Yeah, like I feel very steady with where I am that to not let these things sort of bring me down so yeah it might have an impact but i think i can somehow navigate them and i can see my feelings Mm. around the situation or what happens online or whatever and to say okay this is not me this is just a situation
4: and and live with that how are you able to kind of navigate that like how are you able to get this sense of like this peace and this clarity and and this kind of strength like where did that come from
3: I mean, I don't know. I don't know those words. Well, that's how I see it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I see like that. I don't know if those, words, well, in, know if those, those will be the, the the words that I describe. Like, it never feels it. It never feels peaceful inside my head. I get like very few, t- or it does, but not all the time. So, so yeah, I think yeah, it varies. It depends, and, I, and I'm sort of learning to to navigate the wave as as it comes, and yeah. But but, but how is it for you? I mean, you. I, I was, yeah, I was just mentioning how personal it can be that link between your well-being your mental health your sexual life
4: how how is it for you how do you find it it's an interesting one because um so with my coming out it was it was quite tough and it was like i end up having to come out properly twice but uh, <laughs> fun not once but twice <laughs> um but for me it was tough because i think like my so i uh my heritage is nigerian and i grew up in a very christian family and i still believe in god myself but to, to grow up in a very christian family to grow up with the church and even you know my dad uh was a pastor at one point in nigeria or here i don't know but um there was a lot of that and i think there's a lot of guilt and shame and so especially like when you're kind of getting older and you've realized that actually your feelings for men and you realize that like, what does this mean? And how am I supposed to say it to the people that I love and who mean the world to me? And I know that they might not deal with it well. And I think for me, it's like, um, I had friends in school that I told and they were fine. They, they were like, oh, I don't care. That's that's okay that you're my friend. And oh God, um, that that was good. But then, you know, in <laughs> through a series of events when I was... Um, uh, 17 basically family found out and i kind of went back in the closet and so that that was kind of a thing where it's like okay like those kind of i guess a year and a half two years of being out being well semi out to some friends but um go back in and then i went to university and and stuff and it was almost like you know through praying the gay away or kind of ignoring those things like it, it that's not you and talking to people and having girlfriends stuff like that and and it it was an interesting time because it was a thing where I realized okay like you can have feelings for a physical person like um but I guess everything changed when I met my first boyfriend and I think meeting him and I was a bit older and that was when I kind of could visualize those words of actually like no I'm gay and this is what I'd say to family and then still reconciling like, I I like when the conversation did happen and it was it wasn't easy but um. I can fundamentally say as tough as it has been I'm so glad I did come out I'm glad that I kind of went through that kind of storm and that kind of really tough time because I think had I not come out I wouldn't be able to kind of be able to talk to people about it or to be comfortable in my skin or to go on this journey but it has not been easy. And I definitely can see a lot of kind of, with what you've said as well, like kind of dealing with those kind of, you have those days where you feel really strong or really empowered and stuff like that. And it's been, it's been years since the, like the second coming out, but, um, but it's, um, but yeah, it's almost sometimes there's a consequence. I think. I think, I think in an ideal world, you don't have to come out. You're able to kind of just, you know, you can just exist. But I think for, for some of us, maybe for a lot of us, there is that thing you need to tell people. You have to come out and, and unless it's an unequivocal, I love you. I don't care. It is tough. It is really tough to deal with that. And, um, and I'm really fortunate to have an amazing uh, chosen family and a very lovely Greek boyfriend. And, um, but it it takes time, it does, and for me, it was counseling and therapy. Like undeniably, like that that's something that I found really, really useful because it's like, how do you deal with all these emotions? And sorry, I I know I'm talking a lot. Oh no, that, that's, that's amazing. I mean,
3: like you you are making me think of, like you know, because you were talking about coming out once and coming out twice, and then, yeah, how how often we do this, and and how it can become a sort of never ending process. You know, it's like mm. we're. As 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 queer and as gay as I am and as as I, as open as I am, I feel that I'm still that there's days in my life that I still have to come out again to to someone I've just met to yeah to a person to, to the woman very confusingly hitting on me on a mm-hmm. bar or things like that you know so it's like th- does it ever end? Th- is is there a point where yeah. we don't have to come out anymore? And and then what's what sort of the impact? Of that because you're talking about like the the positives and the, and the and 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 the not so easy moments of of coming out i think we learn from both of them and I, and I think both of them in the long term can be positive but, but maybe but maybe this is maybe i shouldn't say this like you know what i mean no
4: no i get i get where you're coming from i mean that's something i didn't realize like because I, I you know technically i came out a bit later so i'm 32 but I probably was like in my late 20s and so like I didn't realize it's true you do have to constantly come out you're, you're like even when you meet someone and they say, like oh how's the uh, oh have you got a girlfriend I'm like well no he's not a girlfriend and then or like even work colleagues or like even with like now it's like I said I've got a boyfriend now but it's like even just saying pronouns like oh I'm, I'm, I'm with the partner and it's like oh him in an ideal world we wouldn't have to or if we had to, like, you know, give these kind of constant coming outs, people would just receive them and it wouldn't like most people do not care. Most people have enough things that they're like they're dealing with, they're working with, that, that are are they going on in their lives that they do not care like what two adults, consenting adults do in their in their life. But that to me is an ideal world where no one would care. And it would just be you can just do your business. Because there's
3: some spaces in which you feel more or less comfortable
4: in your skin and and yeah. There are some spaces where I feel more comfortable than others. I I, I won't deny it. I love being around queer people. I love being around kind of queer um uh and I use queer because, you know, to encapsulate on binary or or gay or lesbian or trans or anything like that. But I I it's nice being in those kind of really open, inclusive spaces. And I think when I am in those spaces, I can just relax and I can kind of like, oh, we can like, you know, be playful and insult each other and whatever. But I've noticed in very I'm fine in straight places. I don't hate straight people. I must say that. It's an interesting one. I think, especially with PDA, that is definitely something I've realized because I've had, I mean, I'm on my third boyfriend now, which sounds funny, but um, that's something that I had to navigate, you know, being so closeted and and then finally coming out and then like, oh, how, how, how do I deal with this? Like, do I hold his hand? And, you know, and, and being really aware of kind of, people and are they going to judge us are they going to so i I always for me it's like a sense of self-protection like i just look around like is this a safe space yeah like i definitely found that but what about you like how have you found like do you think there's that link or that sort of thing about safety and being queer or being out or being a migrant and all those things like or do you do
3: you know what i mean yeah i mean the the first thing i was going to say is you 're quite young you' you're, you're doing a good collection of, of boyfriends ex- boyfriends in the process. but I'm just gonna leave it at the good for you. And, okay. and then it's interesting because I don't I don't think I ever feel fully safe and and perhaps this has to do with not the safetyness of the environment but my own sort of personal anxieties or or, or stresses or concerns or whatever it is. But yeah, I think I assess those different spaces as, as I come into them. Wherever I am, I try to figure out if, if it feels safe, if it is safe. Of course, there's some spaces that are more welcoming than others and in which I, yeah, there's very little sort of risk. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think the, the most interesting bit is, is what you were saying. And yeah, it's, it's like all of a sudden I'm steering this political conversation that... that which wasn't my intention. And and this has happened with exes and with friends and like uh but but just saying how I feel about this government or or migrants crossing the channel or 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 people experiencing food poverty in one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Then of course it becomes political. But I think these are the sort of things that I just care about and and, and that I'm not gonna sort of stop talking about it because other people find difficult or challenging and again i assess the mood of the room and Mm. don't bring don't bring these conversations in yeah i don't want to be the party pooper like talking about
4: like food poverty in the middle of the party but it's an interesting one it's almost like you you pick your battles like from the sounds of it it's like you want to like it's not like you said like you don't want to be a party pooper but it's it's a it's a sense of okay is it safe for me to bring up this topic? is it safe for me to say how i really feel about something or do i just quietly sit there And just nod or just remove myself from the environment it's an interesting one it's like i don't know why why that is with i don't know queer people migrants pfc why there is that kind of need that sometimes you do have to think okay safety is important am i okay like whether it's mentally or kind of in an emotional state like can i really be vocally vocal and honest about how i'm feeling about something and I don't know why it's like that but I think but I think things like this are so powerful because I think at least we are able to kind of talk about these really heavy topics but like we're still able to kind of fight against like whether it's a force or those people who say like oh don't talk or just kind of like go back in a box basically it's like no, no this is important. So, Jose, tell me, what's it like as a new local looking for love in London? I mean, I think the first thing
3: has been coming to the
4: realization that I'm looking
3: for love, that that's what I'm looking for and not just sex. It was it was hard initially. I, I could barely communicate, not because I didn't know English, but because there were a lot of cultural sort of references or things that you wouldn't get on, on the street, on dating apps, like, you know, you, you tend to forget that flirting and 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 hitting on people comes with all these codes mm. that that are cultural and that you develop in in the context in which you are and i think i was moved from a context in which i was very comfortable with my flirting my picking up my style and then moved into something else and and am sort of learning what that was like and realizing that people here don't turn around and like uh yeah i don't know all these things about like hitting and picking up online and offline that were very difficult. I don't know. There's been things about sort of and, and, and I've only come to this reflection after after seven years of being here, but like of me relating or or, or distancing from from things from my own community. So sort of not trying to date or or avoiding dating latin americans because of oh, what's the point i don't want to speak in spanish and things like that and then soon after realizing like oh well that's quite stupid and maybe mm-hmm. i should do more of that and they get me and they we have similar cultural codes and references and so so sort of coming to those realizations i don't know i think there's something about like the the the, the kind of people i like and 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 how sort of available or unavailable, they are in a city like London. So I don't know, I like all their guys. And and so there's a lot of like sexy daddies in London. So it was like, yeah, I felt like at some point I also felt like a kid in a candy shop. and like, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. And that has come with like its own challenges. You know, I think, yeah, I, I came from an environment, I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying a city like Bogota, which is a big capital, a lot of people doesn't have a massive sex scene. It does, but like I don't know. I just feel that London is like this, like super overly sexual city in which sex is available all the time. So I also go through a process of navigating how much sex is too much sex and learning to to set my own boundaries and yeah, and to not let sort of. All the bright flashing lights of the big city sort of blind me. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it's been interesting and it's been a challenge. and But I'm looking forward to more of
4: it. And yeah, I'm up for it. I'm up for a challenge. So, I'm glad that you're on this journey and that I think, my words, I think that you're very strong and empowered and... Um, thank you and I know I definitely hope that you do find that love you're looking for in London because I
3: get it yeah I mean I, I think I'm just gonna live today and and, and, and like with this idea of, of hope and I just think we yeah I just have hope that, that things keep falling into place and you feel more and more comfortable with yourself right? that's what I hope for myself at least and for you thank you
1: what is it that Jose says at the end there I hope things keep falling into place Yeah, I hope so too, man, truly. Something that fell into place for me this year, I got diagnosed with ADHD and it makes a lot of sense. I'm trying to learn how it affects aspects of my life. I'm learning how it affects my relationships. I think about how it affected my last relationship. With ADHD, there can be a time blindness, like how I was late for dates a lot when we first got together. I don't want to blame all my mistakes on ADHD, but it makes a lot of sense now. ADHD is also associated with impulsivity. I think about how I've used sex before as an impulsive distraction. I think about how technology supports impulsive sex with Twitter, Grindr, the apps. I think about how this affects love. Does it create more opportunities for love or is it all a distraction? I met my ex on Grando and I've made close friends through hooking up. I guess you could say we found love in a hopeless place. Word to Rihanna. When Jose and Stanley spoke about staying focused with goals despite the availability and sex in London, I relate. I gave up porn in 2021, something about trying to increase dopamine. I feel like I lacked decent queer sex education growing up and I feel like porn is where a lot of us learn, whether that's good or bad but the habit of watching porn just stays for however long. I'm not sure if giving up porn has actually helped my ADHD symptoms, but my wanks are significantly more enjoyable. Silver linings. Sex is better too, and better sex equals better love, right? Hearing the stories from Roberto, Robert, Stanley and Jose reminds me we're all just navigating love at our own pace trying to make the best of it but still as the romantic sign of the zodiac i have to champion the importance of love make time for it self-love platonic love community love or romantic love and if you take one thing from my episode if you see me on Grindot, show me some love I'm Chase Edwards. Thank you for listening to my episode of Queer Roots and Roots. Stories of where we come from and how we move in the world today. If you're a young person experiencing homelessness of any kind or want to help someone who is, there's a charity called D-Pool. offer emergency accommodation through their service called Nightstop. I used Nightstop when I was 17, coming back from Grenada, and I appreciate it a lot. A link to the charity will be shown in the show notes.
0: Queer Roots and Roots is produced for The Love Tank by Aunt Nell. Produced, edited, and engineered by Tash Walker and Adam Smith. Assistant Producers Saqib Afsal Jose Carlos Mejia Amar Deep Singh Dillon Chase Edwards Stanley Iyanu, and Rad Konichna Music by E. Doi Creative Design and Artwork by Richard Kahogi Recorded at Pirate Studios in Dalston and Hackney Week is London. Executive Producers Mark Thompson and Day Taylor Gentles.